airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for listening. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. We love Sherry. Yes. Hey, Sherry. Hey, girl. All right. He's waving. Um, yes. Okay, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, good. Um, <laughs> Sherry's like, look, your highs mean nothing. Open the phone lines. <laughs> I always feel this menacing feel from Sherry at the end of shows. It's like, you didn't open the phone lines, girlfriend. Like, I feel like it's a threat always. Um, we're going to try to, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, we're going to try to get to it. And but but here here's here's the deal. So we said we were going to go through a series of shows all yes. under the heading Sola Scriptura, right? Mm-hmm. And today we had planned to go in a different direction. So just to let you know what we were thinking of doing, and then to let you know how our brother Chris, who emailed us, has derailed the show. So if you have a problem, <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you Chris's email. Just kidding, Chris. We're not gonna give you email address out. <laughs> Maybe. Um, today's show was going to be Sola Scriptura Part 2, Partiality and Privilege. That's where we were going to go today. But we got an email from one of our listeners that I thought was such a good question. And I thought, you know, what we need to do is unpack the answers to Chris's question. So if you're listening, Chris, you know that you already received the following dissertation um, (laughs) written for you. I've expanded it. And prepared it for air. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to class here just for a second. If everybody's willing and everybody's ready. I really hate to indulge. I absolutely love church history. And I spend quite a bit of time reading it. Not only people's communication of it, but reading firsthand sources. Like reading from some of the defenders of mm-hmm, the faith. Mm-hmm. Like I, I value that information. And so, um, so Chris provoked me. And but it was it's good. It's 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 excellent provocation. Right. So today what we're going to do, this is Sola Scriptura part two still. Yes. Um, but it's it's again a defense for by the scriptures only. All right. It's, it's a, an extension of yesterday's show by the scriptures only. And I'm going to try to take my time. But in order to start, I think we need to read the email first. OK, okay? so. I, I will say this now, I don't know, and I, I like to try to give the, the benefit of the doubt, but I, I felt as I was reading Chris's email that the questions were genuine questions, but mm-hmm. they were questions that were a little bit, you know, accusing. Okay. I felt like they were just a little bit accusing. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> and that's okay. Like, it's okay for us to disagree and for there to be a little bit of accusation, but I want it to be fair. Right. And people will remember that yesterday when we started off, we said we are not pushing a denominational creed. That's right. And I feel like maybe Chris's email 
is coming from a place of it sounds like you're pushing a denominational creed, which we knew that it would. Can I just let everybody in on a secret? So we intentionally chose to title these series of shows Sola Scriptura to who assert this and yet are the main ones defecting from it. You cut out. They are. They assert this. There's Mm -hmm. a group. Oh, how much? How much cut out? To prove because it's all uh, necessary. we, we, We named it. So we. Sola Scriptura. <laughs> so we intentionally named this series of shows Sola Scriptura to make a point. Mm-hmm. And the point is what we see happening right now in the church, um, embracing critical race theory yeah. has found its home first among a group of people who assert this as a doctrinal conviction. Which is very And have become ironic. the first... And most ardent defectors from yeah. it, if you will, or departers. I don't know how you'd say it. It's so so there's a little bit of tongue in cheek with the use of this term. I want right. people to understand that. Now, this is not to discredit it because and that's why I said when we say by the scriptures, we're not talking about a denominational assertion. Nobody owns this. Like there's not one group of Christians, if you will, Mm -hmm. who own this. All Christians should own that we operate according to the authority of Scripture. Right. All Christians should own this. Okay, so. So here is the email that we got and then we're going to go through and and I I I did um, sort of presentation style, write a response to Chris that I thought, you know, it's important for all of our listeners to hear this, because if. Chris has this question, then there may be other people who have I'm these sure. questions. And in I'm fact, sure. we know that that part of um, the confusion has been among Christians who has authority to say and do what? Are the scriptures authoritative? Is the church authoritative? Is the pastor authoritative? Where do we get the authority for all of our claims, for all of our practices, right? Mm -hmm. I assert it's the scriptures. And I'm going to make my case for that. I began making my case for that yesterday. And why is this important? It's important because we're at a moment in culture where people do not know how to stand, right? They, They are running here and there. They're tossed back and forth. And they don't know how to stand. And I am saying stand on the word of God. And I want to make a claim, make make a case for that. Okay, so here we go. Here's the email that was received. Okay. Um, And it just begins this way from our brother, Chris. And I I say, brother, I'm making the assumption that he is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And so so here we go. Um, He writes before a single line of the New Testament was written. The church and Christians already existed. Stephen was killed by Saul in that state of the church. What would Sola Scriptura mean to them? Does Sola Scriptura take away from the great works of major theologians like Tertullian, Augustine, and Thomas Aquinas? The Counter-Reformation began with a Bible and Summa Theologica. Is your version of Sola Scriptura, the historical church, or just an American brand of Protestantism that has only existed since the Civil War. Now, I'm sorry. So that that is those are those are great, great points. I love them, in fact. And those are the kinds of questions that I think are great for us to be discussing 
right now, right? Because we're talking about Sola Scriptura. So I have, I'm going to go through my thoughts and my response to Chris. And I hope that people will keep Chris's email tucked away in the back of their mind, because what you're going to hear me work through is a response to each of his objections, because I do perceive them to be objections. Am I, am I off on that? Will, do you perceive them to be objections? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And the, yeah, okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding. Cuz sometimes no. it's hard to hear people's tone of voice and things like that. So But uh, but it's very cordial. I think that these are objections. It's not it's not a yeah, it, they are objections, but Yeah, no, it's not. I don't think it's mean-spirited. Not at I, all. I think these are questions that other people have had, right? Okay. So, here is my response. My version of by the scriptures would be the established writings of the church. The scriptures to which Paul referred in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, the scriptures which solidified the doctrine of the church to which Paul looked when he told Titus the reason he left him in Crete, which was to, quote, put what remained in order, Mm -hmm. which included the appointment of elders and overseers. Watch this who, according to Paul, were among the qualified if they would, quote, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus 1.9. So here we have, just to make sure that people are tracking with me, we have Paul saying to Titus, for example, we already went over what he said to Timothy yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. But here we have Paul saying to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to put in order those things that remain to put elders and overseers in place. And then he gives Titus the qualifications for those elders and overseers. Among those qualifications would be that these men hold firm to the trustworthy word. Word. As taught. As taught, in other words, there is doctrine that is taught in the early church. Mm-hmm. Paul is calling it the word, okay, that is taught. And why do these men need to hold to the word? So that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Mm. Sound doctrine. And also, and this becomes important when we get to the apologist question, because our brother Chris lists Tertullian and Athanasius Mm -hmm. and and these. Yes, yes, yes to all of them. Let's talk about it. Right. But he also says the reason that these overseers need to hold to sound doctrine is so that they can rebuke those who contradict it. So they're going to stand against lies by knowing the truth, Mm -hmm. not and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, so I'll just continue on. Additionally. Paul tells Titus himself, he instructs Titus directly that Titus, who is in Crete, is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Where's he getting that? Where where is Titus getting the doctrine? Where is he getting this word that Paul is holding him to? Where's it coming from, right? So the question then becomes, Is there something that is in existence that the church is anchored by? 
right, that the church is mm-hmm. able to hold on to mm-hmm. as established doctrine here, Paul calls it the word. Okay, so let's just keep moving through. All right. When we talk about the scriptures, we are speaking of the scriptures, which both Peter and Paul knew that they were writing as the spirit carried them along. Mm-hmm. In second Peter chapter one, we talked about this yesterday. Peter is writing that he's about to die. And so he's making his very best effort to leave for the church scripture, sound doctrine that they will always be able to refer to. How do we know Peter succeeded? Cause we refer to it today <laughs> cause it got to us. So thank God for Peter and thank God that the Holy spirit carried Peter along Amen. to write the scriptures. Right again. And I, I want to indulge me for a second because I referred to this, but I didn't read it yesterday. And this is very, very important. When we start talking about um, filtering every cultural event and the things that are happening around us, When we start talking about filtering these things through the word of God, it's important for us to understand how the word of God is weighted, how the word of God is anchored. So both Paul and Peter knew fully that they were laying down doctrine. They knew that the Holy Spirit was carrying them along. Mm -hmm. They knew that they were providing a framework for the church to be built upon. Right. How is the church now going to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done? Peter writes something amazing in his second letter. Peter says, and and I'm going to read it to you. This is second Peter chapter three, verses 14 through 18. And here's Peter writing. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are uh, waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, Paul, Here we go. Mm -hmm. Also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Mm. So here you have another apostle Mm -hmm. who was saying of a different apostle that what he is writing, he is writing by the wisdom that God has given him and it is scripture. So in real time, Peter is saying what Paul is writing is scripture. If that were not true, he wouldn't call it scripture. Right. (laughs) All right. We got to grab the break. Erin the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Some of my favorite things to talk about, the history of the church, how we get our scriptures, why our scriptures are authoritative and um, should be the final word um, for all of our faith and practice. I mean, I just, I, I cannot stress that enough. I cannot stress that enough. When, mm-hmm. when I say 
we are trying to get as close to the word of God as possible. That's not a pithy statement. That's right. not a, you know, oh, I hope it sounds great when I say this. This is our heart's desire Amen. that we are found pleasing the Lord in the way that we live, that we are living for the glory of God by sticking as close to the word of God as possible. Like, you know how when you get in trouble with your parents and like because they told you to do something, and they said, you think I'm just talking for my health? You remember that? He's like, you think I'm just talking? You know, mm-hmm. we don't just have the scriptures, you know, because God didn't have anything better to do. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like the apostles were being persecuted. So it wasn't like they were just like in free time saying, oh, you know, guess I'll. Right. Let know. me write something real quick. Let me let me write something. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, since I don't have anything going on, it, it's like, no, hold on a second. They are carried along Amen. by the Holy Spirit. To Amen. write for us what is going to be necessary for us to know who God is and to live according to this knowledge. Amen. And this is indispensable. So right now what we're doing, if you're just joining us, um, this is part two of Sola Scriptura. It's a little bit of tongue in cheek, but I mean it when I say by the scriptures. Right. I mean it when I say by the scriptures. We cannot break away from the scriptures to adopt modern philosophies and expect those philosophies to give to us a better outcome than adhering to the word of God. It's Mm. not going to happen. It is not going to happen. So when we say that modern philosophies can be used as analytical tools, I'm sorry. No, no, they cannot. And and I'm not the first person to say that. I mean, like, you know, (laughs) got hundreds of years of church history of people defending the faith and saying, no, these modern philosophies have no place in the church. Mm -hmm. The Lord has given us what is totally sufficient for us to know him and to live according to that knowledge. Yesterday, we began our discussion with the groundwork that this is not what we're saying today is not an assertion of a denominational profession, right? Rather, this is a desire to adhere to the truth, which characterized and established the church character. This truth is, and it's not a new truth. It's not something that we're like, Oh, I like this. I'll take that. It's, it's not, you know, the word according to them, mm-hmm. right? This is the church that established, or this is the truth that established the church. We have to understand that when we talk about the scriptures, the scriptures predate the new Testament church, mm. the scriptures expand after the ascension of Christ to include both the account of the arrival of the Messiah, mm-hmm. the Gospels, a historical record of the establishment of the church, Acts, instructions for living in Christ, the epistles, right? Mm-hmm. We wrap up with the confirmation that there's going to be an end of the age and here's what it's going to look like, the revelation. But again, This is not the first time we learn about the end of the age. Daniel, among other prophets, foretold of the end of the age. That's right. So all of this is linked together. You have to understand when Paul says to Timothy, remember the sacred writings, what Paul is talking about, if Timothy would have had a collection of them, Paul is talking about the 39 Old Testament books that we now have in our Bible. About 30 AD, that's what would have been in circulation among the Jews, right? Those books, mm-hmm. we see that those books continue to expand as the church continues to move along. This is the sovereignty of God. And I don't want to get too, too far ahead of myself. But when Paul writes that all scripture is breathed out by God, 
The scriptures themselves confirm this. <laughs> the scriptures interpret themselves. They are congruent. They all work together. Mm -hmm. They're one thread. They show that they have one author. And at the same time, having over 40. Yeah. <gasps> and you There's even a see, dual. I'm going to say, you even see Peter in his explaining about the end times going mm -hmm. back to the flood to show you know, Hello. That this, <laughs> he's referring that it, yeah, to the Yeah, it scriptures. happened before, and it's going to happen again, but this time in a different way. You know, like he's going back to those same scriptures. It's amazing. From, from old, you know, to, to make his point with what he was saying then. You know, it's and all one thing. And the assumption is that the readers of these letters That's right. will be acquainted with this reference. That's right. There is no question that those who would read these letters at the time that they're written and even down to now, mm -hmm. that when they read these references, they get them. Think about all the times that Jesus and the others quote like the prophets. <laughs> you know, oh, as, well, as don't, don't get too far oh, ahead okay. of us. I'm running. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, this is brilliant because this is exactly. See, this is this is the thread that is woven throughout the scriptures, right? Where the scriptures interpret and validate themselves. Mm -hmm. You read the scriptures and you see that there's not one part that you can take away from it. So so here we go. Right. All right. So if there's no scripture for which the church is accountable before we have the epistles, mm -hmm then it would be foolish for Paul to tell Timothy to remember the, the sacred writings that he grew up on. Right. And you were talking to me about this last night, just kind of unpacking this discussion further and, yeah. and looking up um, the, the Greek meaning of the word like from childhood. This means like from the various, the, the very earliest yes, age earliest. possible. Yes. Infancy. <laughs> so if you trek back, then what we're talking about clearly is that the apostle Paul is referring to the old Testament scriptures, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So these scriptures come into, if you will, the New Testament context. Yeah. Remember, when Paul makes his case before Festus and Agrippa II, just mm -hmm. before he's about to sail to Rome, mm -hmm. he appeals to Agrippa's knowledge of Moses mm -hmm. and the prophets. Mm -hmm. So Paul refers to scripture. This is Acts That's chapter good. 26, verses 22 through 29. Mm -hmm. He refers to scripture. The sacred writings are the scriptures. Paul makes the case for Christ. Listen to this. Even though he's had this incredible encounter, and this is a part of his testimony that he will tell repeatedly. We see that Luke gives an account of this. Paul will tell this over and over again, what Jesus Christ did to him or for him mm -hmm. on the road to Damascus, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both of them are true, <laughs> all right? But Paul makes the case for Christ using the scriptures. Yeah. In fact, what he says, because um, Festus steps forward and Festus says in the book of Acts, he says, Paul, all this learning has made you mad. <laughs> and Paul is like, no, I'm not mad. I'm not. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. In fact, what he says is his defense of the faith. Watch this uh, direct quote here are mm. true and rational words. Mm. True and rational words. A different translation says, my, his, basically what I'm telling you is truth and reason. Mm. Acts chapter 26, verse 25. And that means that it is not subjective. That means that it is objective truth, right? That means that it can be proven. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what Paul plays on or pulls from is the prophets and the Old Testament, the scriptures, mm. bringing that into a, if you will, New Testament defense of the faith. Of course. Now, 
to our brother's point about Tertullian and everybody uh, else. Augustine. And, and yeah. Augustine and, and Aquinas and everybody else, mm -hmm. right? Of course, our Lord gave us teachers right. and great defenders of the faith throughout the history of the church. But let me tell you something. These teachers, oh, I'm so excited to say this. These teachers and these apologists exist because of the scriptures, <laughs> not apart from them. Right. What are they defending if it's not the scriptures? Like, why do we know them as teachers? Are we saying these men had random thoughts for which they made grand assertions and they are to be received and adopted because what? They're old men? <laughs> no, that's not at all what we're saying. It's from the scriptures mm -hmm. that they defended the faith, right. not from their own notions. That's right. Tertullian, also known as the phrase maker, gave us the term Trinity. Mm -hmm. But he didn't conjure that up out of that thin air. Idea, right. <laughs> that wasn't his idea. The companion formula that we're so familiar with today, that Tertullian, again, the phrase maker gave us when he referred to the Godhead as one substance, three persons, came from Scripture. Mm -hmm. It was in his searching of the Scriptures where he discovered this revelation of the Godhead and that this cannot be dismissed, that our God eternally existent is three in one. Mm -hmm. Of course, his writings are valuable to us in so much as they provide a defense of the truth. Amen. And where do we get the truth the from the scriptures? Mm -hmm. So part of the defense of the faith that we saw coming from these early teachers arose because there was error. And so their defense of the faith was to correct the error, right? So if somebody found it just too difficult to reconcile that God is three and yet one, then I don't know, like they, you know, were like an Arius, okay? <laughs> right, and they right. said, no, you know, Jesus is different from us, but he was created. <laughs> right. he's, he's, he's better than us. He's higher than us, but he was created. So when Athanasius stands against Arius, where is he going to go to defend the truth? He's got to go to the scripture. He, he's got to go to the scriptures, guys. Mm. He's got to go to the truth. Amen. So we don't, this, when we say, you know, by the scriptures alone, it is not to borrow something from the 1500s. Mm -hmm. It's not to borrow something after the Protestant Reformation, which we're going to get to in just a little bit, because we, we going back further than that. Because mm -hmm. remember, we're talking about the eternal word of God, the eternal word of God. These men that we value as teachers in the faith, great defenders of truth. Where is the truth? Where, where are they getting the truth that they're defending? From the if they're not getting the, the truth from the scriptures, then they're madmen. Yeah. They're lunatics. And why are they to be believed? We believe them because they are defending the truth that is self-evident. They would have no basis. They would have no basis for what they're tr what they're saying, you know. Yes, they exactly have to go right. back to the scripture, or you can just say, like you were saying before, they took it out of thin air. You yes, know? exactly. Which then gives it no basis. Right, it, it's not grounded no in anything. Right. All right. So, so Tertullian. Mm -hmm. When you look at Tertullian's writings, and boy, I mean, just 
He was brilliant, you know, and even I think the the nickname that he garnered for himself as the phrase maker, being able to take theological concepts that were different that we use today. Can you imagine that there was a time where you couldn't or you didn't say Trinity and people like wouldn't immediately understand what that means? Now we say it today and people understand immediately what that means. Mm -hmm. That is a brilliance that comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. That is that is an ability that comes from the Lord. So Tertullian's writings, he tackled in his time, he tackled three major issues, right? He looked at Christianity's attitude toward the Roman state and, and in society, how Christians were to conduct themselves. He also defended the Christian beliefs against heresy. So as heresies arose, Tertullian stepped on the scene with like, <laughs> that's wrong. In order to say that something is wrong, there must be an objective right. That's right. If I just walk up and I say a line is crooked, the question is by which line or what line am I measuring it? Mm. There has to be. That's why we say the word of God is a straight edge. That's right. The word of God is the straight edge, right? Additionally, Tertullian was making a case for the moral behavior of believers in his day. Man, this was incredible. Tertullian's making a defense for how Christians engage culture, how Christians live for the glory of God. Where would he get the information on how Christians <laughs> are to live if he's not taking that from the apostles' writings? Hmm. How does he know what morality is for the Christian? H how does he know? Well, he knows because he is taking this from the apostles' writings, right. which the church largely accepted. Now, listen, before, because I think sometimes when we think of scriptures and we think of the Bible, we think of running down to Lifeway and getting something bound in the leather that we like. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we're like, we're like, that's well, but what about before that? When I'm talking about the scriptures, I'm not talking about going and get a Bible in the translation that you like and, and going <laughs> and getting it in the color that you like and the font and all of that stuff. You know, these are these are our modern comforts. Praise the Lord. Right. When I'm talking about the scriptures, I'm talking about even before the canon of scripture, you have the apostles letters being circulated mm. and you have the church growing and being anchored by this truth that was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. At the time that Tertullian is writing and defending the faith, let's say in AD 200, the books, if you will, of the Bible, as it were at the time, right, that would have been in circulation throughout the church would have been the following. The four Gospels, mm -hmm. the 13 letters of Paul, the book of Acts, two of John's what would become three letters in circulation, Jude and Revelation. Christian church, okay, in addition to that, mm -hmm. there was in circulation what was at the time called the wisdom of Solomon and the revelation of Peter. Mm. <laughs> All right? It's very interesting. But here you have the church circulating these letters of apostles and the, these letters of the apostles. And the ones that were most important were these firsthand accounts. Yeah, it was it was who were the ones that we know mm -hmm. that were in close proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ right. or had been directly trained by the apostles who were in close proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter in his second letter, how he says, Look, we are eyewitnesses of right, these things. Right, right, Remember, he says, we were there on the mountain. On the mountain we, yeah. So <laughs> these are the types of scriptures that the church is holding fast to. They're saying, nah, these men were there. And, and we want to make sure that our faith 
our claim, our practice is built on and rooted in this truth. Amen. Not because these men just liked to hear about teachings of Jesus. No, they were there. <laughs> they were eyewitnesses. When we get back on the other side of the break, we'll talk about at the nations. We'll talk a little bit more about the teachers and then see if we can wrap this up. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. He put that hunger in your heart. He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason to keep on believing. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, His love is the reason to keep on believing. If we could. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Unspoken with Reason. All right, so jumping right back into our discussion because sand through the hourglass goes faster in the last segment. So I just really want to make sure I get all this information (laughs) out. This is in response to an email we received about what do we mean exactly when we say sola scriptura. And so I'm really breaking that down. I think the implication in the email was that when I say sola scriptura or by the scriptures alone, I mean the reformers that are post the Protestant Reformation. No, I'm talking about the scriptures that predate the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. All right. I'm talking about the scriptures before you meet Martin Luther, which and I've got to get through this information because even before Martin Luther, OK, there were men and women who were faithful to the scriptures to whom Martin Luther himself looked mm-hmm. and said, wow, they have the most ardent faith. You might be surprised to know who they are. I'm going to tell you. Because you need that's part of your history. Mm-hmm. That's your history. Right. So I want to pick up where we left off. We're talking about how we get the scriptures and, and why we weight the scriptures the way that we do. We are not talking about a trip, a trip to Lifeway or a click on Amazon and right. then boom, you have your Bible. Right. We're talking about these letters of the apostles that are in circulation. The Old Testament that is already received as valid. OK. <laughs> and and these New Testament letters. You remember Athanasius, uh, who we talked about before, standing against Arius. And remember, Mm -hmm. Arius was the one who said that Jesus had a beginning. All right. So in 367 A.D., Athanasius wrote a letter where he listed, watch this, 27 books that after his rigorous study, he found to be authoritative. Hint, hint. (laughs) They are the 27 letters that we have in our New Testament today. Hmm. And why did Athanasius, looking at these books or these letters or books that are in circulation, ascertain that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit? He's looking at, first of all, what is the proximity of the author to Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Okay, you have all kinds of other accounts that are in circulation, which, by the way, Athanasius at the time said, look, you can read these other books that are in circulation. But the ones that are to be taken as authoritative seem to present themselves as these 27 books. Now, isn't that interesting? They present themselves as being authoritative. Now, what is interesting about that as well is that Athanasius, who was a part of the Eastern Church, which was centered in Constantinople, would point out these 27 books 30 years later. There would be two councils that will be held, one in 393 and then 397 A.D. to vet the scriptures. And by way of the Holy Spirit, 
in both of these councils, separate altogether from what Athanasius determined, these councils determined, affirmed, that these 27 books actually present themselves as authoritative. (laughs) They confirm that they are to be established as the rule, from whence we get our term canon, that we are to judge all claims about who Jesus is Mm. and what he requires and how we are to live. And why is the church crying out for a rule? Because there are heresies that are growing. Mm. Why is the church looking for, hey, we've, you know, we've got to have some rule by which we will say, this is the truth, that's not the truth. You can read that if it makes you feel better, builds you up, okay, you know, gives you some, some spiritual juice, but that's not authoritative, and, and we've got to have a cutoff. Why is the church crying out for this? The church is crying out for this because the church was grounded by the inspiration of the scriptures given to the apostles. Amen. And the Lord, by way of his Holy Spirit, will not let us depart from that. This is not men sitting around saying, hey, you know, I think I like that book. I don't like that book. (laughs) No, this is the Holy Spirit who has given us the scriptures, watching over the scriptures to protect their integrity and to ensure that we get them today. It should excite us that we look back at 367 A.D. and say, wow, those same 27 books that were accepted in the church, we have them in our Bible today. Mm-hmm. And the same life-giving information contained in them in 367 AD is contained in them today. Amen. This is a blessing of the Lord. Look, the church was desperate for the establishment of Scripture. Truth upon which they could stand when contending with any other assertions of knowledge or revelation And this, brothers and sisters, this has the mark of the Holy Spirit all over it, that there is a line for the church, a straight edge for the church, or as the Apostle Peter put it, a more sure word Mm. for the church. Again, we esteem these apologists and these teachers because of the scriptures. It's the Bible which substantiates their role. Why Why do we esteem them? Because the Bible told us to. And why? Because they serve a purpose. Ephesians chapter four, Mm -hmm. verses 11 through 14. And he, speaking of Jesus, just giving you a little context here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro Mm -hmm. by the waves and carried about, watch this, by every wind of doctrine. So the teachers are given to teach the truth which predates them so that we will not fall victim to every little doctrine that pops up, every little word, every little myth, every little controversy. So, no, the teachers don't operate independent of the scriptures. In fact, they're on the scene because of the scriptures. And they are a blessing to the body of Christ. So Tertullian, Augustine, Athanasius, Origen, Aquinas, Anselm, who was known as the father of scholasticism. (laughs) Not many of us know about Anselm, right? Who made the ontological argument that we know that God exists, right? Because we think of him. (laughs) He has put his knowledge of who he is in our minds and our hearts. 
It was Anselm who said that if there's any power or being greater than God, then that would be God. Hmm. By definition, God reveals himself to be God. There's no one greater, no one higher. And, and Anselm is coming up with this concept during what we call the dark ages of the church, where they're not even teaching the word. They're just doing stage plays. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just <laughs> acting out stuff because they said the people were illiterate. They wouldn't understand if we opened the scriptures. Anselm is saying, man, we must love the Lord God with our mind. And a lot of Anselm's techniques in defending the truth we use to win non-believers. But Anselm did not even develop or expand these techniques for non-believers. He was trying to add knowledge to believers' lives. Hmm. This was for the church. Now, Tertullian, Augustine, Athanasius, Aquinas. Anselm, Luther, okay? All of them are valuable and they're a blessing to the body of Christ. But their value is rooted in their understanding of truth. And what's more, not just their understanding of truth, but their valiant defense of it. Man, they were brave in defending the truth. They arrived at clear presentations of eternal truth by scripture alone. Now, look, we note them for this fact. Otherwise, we would be noting them for a different fact, that they were heretics. Right. (laughs) Right. The reason we esteem them is because they held to the truth. Now, to our brother's point about the post-Civil War Reformation, I'm not really sure what that means, but I will tell you this. The Protestant Reformation predates the Civil War by well over 300 years. But not only are we, when we talk about by the scriptures alone, not only are we not starting with America, for our version of by scripture alone, <laughs> no, not at all. we don't even start with Luther at Wittenberg Come on. <laughs> because Luther doesn't even start with Luther at Wittenberg. Okay. <laughs> Listen, Martin Luther himself actually started with the Ethiopians mm. and the Ethiopians received the word from Peter or from Philip. You remember Philip, the evangelist, yeah. one of the deacons chosen in, in Acts chapter six, we meet him. Remember, Philip comes upon this eunuch who was found to be what? Reading the scriptures. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So here you have this eunuch, this Ethiopian who's reading the scriptures. The Lord actually sends Philip to go meet this African who is reading the scriptures. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Look, I love the word of God, guys. And what is Philip asking? Philip's like, do you understand what you're reading? And, And the eunuch is like, I mean, I don't know. Like, what is he talking about? Is he talking about him or is he talking about someone else? And starting with the scriptures that the Ethiopian eunuch has, the scriptures, the sacred mm-hmm. writings. Come on. Philip leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus Christ. <laughs> How can we be sure, Miki? Because he says, hey, there's some water over there, Philip. Will you baptize me? <laughs> and church history holds that this Ethiopian eunuch took the gospel back to Ethiopia. And guess what? It is this body of believers to which Luther looks in his own writings. I'm going to give you some exact quotes from Martin Luther. He looks to the Ethiopian church as like the faithful church before his 95 protests. (laughs) Here are some of Luther's exact quotes. I'm going to quote him. For the Ethiopians denote those who have the ardent faith. Another quote, but the church is symbolized and called by the name Ethiopia. Another quote, the people of the Ethiopians are said to be the church of the Gentiles. One final quote, 
but the church is symbolized and called by the name Ethiopia. But you know what? We don't even start there. Hmm. Our version of by the scriptures goes back to Jesus's use of the scriptures, as Will the Great was saying, as we have now come to the end of the show. (laughs) I feel like that's the climax, though. I feel like that's the climax. If there's ever a case to be made for the defense of the scriptures, it would be the use of the scriptures by our Lord Jesus. Guys, this is not some man-made doctrine. This is not some denominational creed that we adopt because it sounds good. This is that which we stake our lives on. Mm. We're willing to die for this truth, not because some man made it up, because it is God's eternal word. So when we stand against man-made philosophies, we're not doing that because, oh, they just, I don't like the way that feels. I mean, it sounds overly spiritual to say, you know, I just got a check in my spirit. I don't like that. But you don't, you don't even have to have a check in your spirit. Read the Bible. <laughs> we can take all of the like frufu, like Twilight Zone out of it. Right. You read the Bible and a lot of what is out in the culture today will not pass biblical examination. It will mm. not hold up under biblical scrutiny. This is why it is important for us to know the word of God. When the word of God is firmly planted in your heart and in your mind, the Holy Spirit draws upon this knowledge to build up a wall of defense against foolishness. (laughs) It doesn't get past. It's a strainer. Mm, It helps you to reject trash. Our version of the scriptures or by the scriptures goes back to Jesus's use of the scriptures. Matthew 4 and Luke 4, when rebuking Satan, Jesus refers to Deuteronomy 6 and 8. It was Christ himself who referred to the in the beginning, God making them male and female in Matthew (laughs) 19 and Mark 10. He referred to Noah and the flood. He referred to the law and the prophets. So if Jesus Christ, who is God, Mm -hmm. referred to the scriptures, then they're sufficient for me to refer to them for all of my claims and practices. And that, my friend, (laughs) you're crazy. You are so crazy. (laughs) That, my friend is all I have to say about that. <laughs> no, that's that, good. We don't have anywhere else to go for the truth that we proclaim. If it comes from yourself, then usually you put something in front of it like my truth. Your, I don't, I'm not after my truth. I'm not even after tearing down your truth. I'm after lifting up the truth. Amen. I'm after esteeming Jesus Christ, his word, The word that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit through faithful men who wrote as they were carried along. The Bible proves itself to have dual authorship. I mean, it's it's an it's an amazing display that, you know, because I, I, you know, I say, man, God, you know, and I mean this with all due respect. But the things that the Lord God does, he does grand. Mm. He does grand, right? He gives dual authorship to his word. (laughs) How do you do that? Because he's God. Amen. Right? Again, when Paul is before Agrippa and Festus, when when Paul is appealing, he's making his defense, but he's actually evangelizing, right? Mm -hmm. Because Agrippa's like, man, Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul is like, I wish you would be all that I am except for these chains. Mm. That's what (laughs) Paul says. (laughs) I'm telling you, 
Again, when Paul is talking to Agrippa, Paul says, I know you know about all these things that have happened. Paul says, because they didn't happen in a corner. (laughs) (laughs) So God, when he displays who he is, he doesn't do it in a corner. I mean, yeah, let's let's go ahead and go through the Red Sea. Mm. (laughs) Why? Because I'm God. Let's go through the Red Sea. Let's have it wall up and congeal beside you guys. I love the people who say, oh, no, it was just ankle deep. Well, then how did the Egyptians drown in that? Like, I I mean, grown men drowned in the kiddie pool. (laughs) All right, we're out of time. Sola Scriptura, but you know what I mean when I say that. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.